Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and for the first time in over 150 episodes, I'm the one bringing the sexy voice, not my co-host Katie. You do realize this means you need to say crazy Gary Oldman, right? Crazy Gary Oldman! (laughs) 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 You know, I'm now understanding the enjoyment you get out of making me do it a little bit. It's pretty great, right? Yeah, it really is. I'm happy to repay the fun. (laughs) Happy to receive the repayment. What? Anyway, let's just fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 23, Christmas on the Closed Ward, and the corresponding film scenes that really only corresponded by holiday. Christmas at Grimmauld Place is surprisingly jolly, mainly due to Sirius being excessively thirsty for human interaction. Harry is more emo than the 2002 Warped Tour. Ron's big box apparently isn't really a fan of skiing. Molly and Arthur are still couple goals. Percy, once again, wins the award for biggest prat in the Weasley family. Creature bonds with the boy who defeated the Dark Lord over their very similar childhood bedrooms. And Ginny lets her badass flag fly. Unless you're watching the movie, in which case, go read the book. During episode 158, Dobby's Hobby Lobby, our Potter pondering was... What are your thoughts about the movie not giving us the bonding moment between Harry and Ginny about Harry possibly being possessed by Voldemort? Hey guys, it's Jackson calling in my Potter pondering for this week. What do I think of not having that bonding moment between Harry and Ginny? I hated it, but not just because it was a bonding moment. Yeah, there was a great bonding moment because it really shows that Ginny is now heaps more comfortable around Harry, you know, she can speak to him, she can even challenge him, which brings me to my other point of why I hated missing out on this moment, because this was one of our first instances of badass Ginny, you know, in the book. This was one of our first moments of the absolute badass that Ginny is, and of course, the movies completely screwed that over. So yeah, hated it. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about the movie leaving out the scene between Harry and Ginny discussing if he could possibly be possessed by Moldy Voldy? And I'm going to say this first. Y'all have to stop asking me how I feel about stuff like this because the answer is always going to be pissed off, okay? (laughs) I don't like it. This is the reason why so many people who watch the movie think Ginny is just, uh, they don't like her. She's just a background ancillary character to movie watchers because they did not read the book to see how she was there for Harry and how they were there for each other and how her character really cultivated it to be a great powerhouse of a woman. It ain't that many of them in this book movie, period. But although I am pissed, I am not surprised. Because this is the running joke from now on. We only got a couple of movies left. I mean, they can't fit it all. 
I don't even think they tried. But anyway, yeah, it, it's just aggravating. People who just watched the movies and didn't read the book think that we are angry at them because they didn't read the book. It's just that I'm not really angry at them either because those are badass movies with or without the books alongside of them. It's just all the questions y'all have after watching all of them is the answers right there. Like, <laughs> y'all formulating solid opinions about characters that y'all have a surface level of information about. It's just, oh, it's depressing. It really is. But, you know, as book readers, we stand together that Eugenia's a badass, okay? And the movies did her a great disservice. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, who continues to write to Gildor Lockhart even though he is in the hospital? Gladys Gudgeon continues to write Lockhart each week, which he figures must be because of his good looks. Congratulations goes to Megan Slater. Woohoo! This was another close week between her and Mike, but Megan just managed to get her answer in first. Yeah, just barely. Putting her at 11 weeks in a row and just one week away from tying Mike for the record. Will she do it? Will Mike stop her? Will someone else sweep in for the win? We shall see. For now, let's dive into the second half of Chapter 23, Christmas on the Closed Ward, and the film scene that kind of corresponds with an earlier section, but has nothing to do with the current book chapter. So, yeah. Chapter 23, Christmas on the Closed Ward, Part 2. After they eat their Christmas lunch, the Weasleys and Harry and Hermione plan to pay Mr. Weasley another visit, accompanied by Mad-Eye and Lupin. Mundungus also turns up, having borrowed a car for the occasion, since the underground does not run on Christmas Day. The car, which Harry is positive was borrowed without the owner's knowledge or permission, has an enlarging spell on it so they can all fit in comfortably. Mrs. Weasley hesitates, unsure about traveling with Mundungus, but ultimately settles in the back seat between Fred and Bill. The journey is quick since there isn't much traffic, and Mundungus drops them off in front of the closed storefront and drives around the corner to wait for them. One by one, they step through the glass and find the reception area looking very festive, with red and gold crystal orbs, glowing Christmas baubles, holly, and Christmas trees covered in magical snow and icicles. It's less crowded than their first visit, though Harry does get shunted aside by a witch with a walnut jammed up her left nostril. The blonde witch seated behind the desk smirks as she acknowledges that it's the third family argument she's seen that day and directs her to spell damage on the fourth floor. They find Mr. Weasley propped up in bed with the remains of his dinner on a tray in his lap and looking very sheepish. They all greet him and hand over their presents, and then Mrs. Weasley asks him if everything is all right and he gives an overly hearty fine before asking if she has seen Healer Smithwick. Molly suspiciously wonders why, and Arthur insists that it's nothing and tries to distract from it by beginning to open up his gifts. As he's raving over Harry's gift of fuse wire and screwdrivers, Molly checks out her husband's bandaging and realizes that they've been changed a day early. 
She demands to know why, and under her piercing gaze, Mr. Weasley admits that the trainee healer, Augustus Pye, had the idea to try out a muggle remedy called Stitches. Molly can't believe that Arthur has been messing about with muggle remedies, and when she comments that it sounds like he tried to sew his skin back together, but even he can't be that stupid, Harry jumps to his feet and announces that he fancies a cup of tea. Hermione, Ron, and Ginny basically run to the door with him, and as it closes behind them, they can hear Mrs. Weasley shout, What do you mean that's the general idea? Ginny shakes her head, saying it's pretty typical of her dad, and Hermione points out that stitches do work well on non-magical wounds, but there must be something in the snake's venom that dissolves them. She then wonders where the tea room is, and Harry remembers the sign over the welcome witch's desk to answer that it's on the fifth floor. They make their way through the corridor and up a rickety staircase lined with more portraits of brutal-looking healers, that tried to diagnose them with various things and call out horrible remedies. One medieval wizard offends Ron by telling him that he clearly has a bad case of spattergroit that requires binding the liver of a toad to the throat while standing naked by the full moon in a barrel of eel's eyes. Ron furiously informs the portrait that he hasn't got spattergoit, he's talking about his freckles, and tells him to get back to his own picture and leave him alone. The others do their best not to laugh as he rounds on them and asks what floor they are on. Hermione thinks it's the fifth, but Harry says it's only the fourth, and as he steps onto the landing with a sign reading spell damage, he comes to an abrupt halt as he notices a man with wavy blonde hair, bright blue eyes, and a broad, vacant smile peering through the glass of the double doors. Their ex-defense against the dark arts professor pushes open the door and moves towards them wearing a long lilac dressing gown. He greets them and says he expects they'd like his autograph, which makes Harry mutter to Ginny that he hasn't changed much. Ron guiltily asks him how he's doing, since it had been his own malfunctioning wand that damaged Lockhart's memory to the point of landing himself in St. Mungo's. Since he'd been trying to wipe Harry and Ron's memories at the time, Harry doesn't feel all that sympathetic. Lockhart exclaims that he's very well and pulls out a quill, asking how many autographs they would like, and declaring that he can do joined-up writing now. Ron thanks him but says they don't want any at the moment, and instead asks him if he should be in a ward. In response, Lockhart stops smiling and stares at Harry, asking if they've met. Harry reminds him that they have because he used to teach at Hogwarts, and though this initially unsettles Lockhart, he then smiles and figures he taught them everything they know. He returns to the topic of autographs and offers to sign a round dozen of them so they can give them out to their little friends too. At this point, a motherly-looking healer pops her head out of the door at the far end of the corridor to find him. She smiles at Harry and the others and expresses her delight that Gilderoy has visitors, since he never gets any despite being such a sweetie. Lockhart smiles as he informs the healer that they're doing autographs, and she tells them all that they think this could be a sign that some of his memory is coming back. She asks them to follow them back to his ward since he's supposed to be locked up for his own safety because he doesn't know who he is and has a tendency to wander off and not know how to get back. 
She's looking at them all so expectantly that they have no choice but to follow Lockhart and the healer along the corridor, and Ron quietly requests they not stay long. The healer uses Aloha Mora on the door to the Janus Thicky ward and explains that it's their long-term resident ward for permanent spell damage, saying that there is hope for improvement, as with Gilderoy, and also mentions how much Mr. Bode has been improving. She then leaves them to their visit to continue handing out the Christmas presents. Harry looks around the ward, noting the signs of more permanent residents, as Lockhart pulls a fresh stack of photographs towards himself and begins signing them. He tosses them to Ginny, telling her that she can put them in the envelopes, mentioning how he's not forgotten, that Gladys Gudgeon still writes to him weekly. He doesn't remember why she does, but suspects it's simply his good looks. Harry continues to look around, seeing a sallow-looking wizard mumbling to himself, a woman whose head is entirely covered with fur, and at the far end of the ward, some flowery curtains drawn around two beds to give the occupants some privacy. When the healer gives the furry-faced woman her Christmas presents, calling her Agnes, and letting her know that her son's going to be visiting her tonight, Agnes responds by barking. The healer then gives Broderick Bode a potted plant and a hippogriff wall calendar, and then catches Harry's attention by asking Mrs. Longbottom if she's leaving already. Harry spins around to see a formidable-looking old witch in a long green dress, a moth-eaten fox fur, and a pointed hat decorated with a stuffed vulture, and Neville. Harry realizes who the people in the end beds must be and looks around to distract his friend, but Ron heard the name Longbottom too and calls out Neville's name before Harry can stop him. Neville's grandmother wonders if they're friends of his, but then recognizes Harry and shakes his hand, saying Neville speaks most highly of him. Mrs. Longbottom then identifies Ron and Ginny as Weasleys, calling their parents fine people, and then deduces who Hermione must be. She explains that she's heard all about her and how she's helped him out of a few sticky spots. She looks down at her grandson, saying he's a good boy but hasn't got his father's talent. As she says this, she jerks her head towards the two beds at the end of the ward, and Ron is amazed to realize that Neville's dad is there and asks Neville about it. Mrs. Longbottom can't believe that Neville has never told his friends about his parents and tells him that it's nothing to be ashamed of. Neville tries to insist that he isn't ashamed, but his grandmother isn't buying it, and explains to Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny that her son and his wife were tortured into insanity by you-know-whose followers. Ron, Hermione, and Ginny all looked shocked as she informs them that they had been very well-respected aurors and both highly gifted. At this point, Neville's mom, Alice, edges towards them. She doesn't look much like the plump, happy witch Harry had seen in Moody's old photograph of the original Order of the Phoenix, instead very thin, with wispy, white, dead-looking hair. She makes timid motions towards Neville, who reaches out to take an empty Drupal's blowing gum wrapper from her. He quietly thanks her as she turns and totters away, and Neville's grandmother announces that they better get back. She says it was nice to have met them all and directs Neville to put the gum wrapper in the bin, though Harry is sure he sees him slip it into his pocket instead. As the door closes behind them, a tearful Hermione said she never knew, and this is echoed by Ron and Ginny. 
Harry explains that he did know, adding that that was what Bellatrix Lestrange was sent to Azkaban for. This horrifies Hermione, who recognizes that to be the woman that Creature has a photo of in his den. They all fall silent, but it is broken by an angry Lockhart, who insists that he didn't learn joined-up writing for nothing. The movie section starts as Sirius approaches Harry in the room with the tapestry and apologizes for Creature's unpleasantness, telling him that he was always that way, even when he was a boy. Harry realizes that Sirius grew up there and asks him about it as he takes in the tapestry. Sirius explains that they are in his parents' house, and he lent it to Dumbledore to use for the headquarters of the Order, which was about the only useful thing he has been able to do. He notices Harry is looking at the tapestry and informs him that it is the Black Family Tree. The camera pans over the family tree, showing a burnt spot and a picture of Bellatrix Lestrange's face next to it. He then points out another burn spot labeled with his name and explains that his mother did that after he ran away, calling her a charming woman. He tells his godson that he was 16, and Harry asks where he went. Sirius looks at Harry and gives a slight smile, telling him that he went to his dad's house. He says he was always welcome at the Potters, then tells Harry that he sees so much of his father in him. Harry swallows and nervously tells his godfather that he isn't so sure, because when he saw Mr. Weasley's attack, he wasn't just watching, he was the snake. He also starts to explain that there was a moment in Dumbledore's office, but trails off and instead asks if the connection between him and Voldemort is because he is becoming more like him. He says that he's so angry all the time and is worried that after everything he has been through, something has gone wrong inside him and he is becoming bad. Sirius approaches him and places his hands on his shoulders, clearly telling Harry that he is not a bad person. He's a very good person who bad things have happened to. He asks if Harry understands, and when he nods, Sirius elaborates, saying the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters. They all have both light and dark inside them, and what matters is the part they choose to act on, and that's who they really are. Hermione then knocks on the doorframe and tells Harry that it's time to go. Sirius walks him back to the door, telling him that when all of this is over, they will be a proper family. They hug, and Harry heads out with Hermione. Sirius hesitates at the door and takes another look at his family tree before closing the door behind them. The camera focuses on the burn spot, labeled Sirius, then cuts to a shot over the water, then pans up to a view of the castle. Okay, now that that's over, can you say spattergroit one more time? Spattergroit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Moving on. So this, obviously, movie section-wise, lines up with the scene that we saw before Harry goes back to Hogwarts. Oh, yeah where in the book he was still worried about being expelled. So it's not the same. No. Because he obviously wasn't expelled at this point in the movie. No. <laughs> he is back at Hogwarts. Yet, Pepto Bitch Ma is trying. Oh, she's fucking around. She's going to find out. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> it also does sort of tie into the book chapter section where Harry pulls Sirius into the pantry to confide in him that he was the snake. Yeah. It, like, merged those two. Yeah, it meshes them together. But it also doesn't make sense because even though we haven't talked about this, that'll be next week's episode. Harry already knows about the whole connection because of the occlumency lesson that the movie put in early that we shoved back so it lines up with the book chapter properly. Yeah. So this is just all kind of a shit show right now. Harry Potter and the ultimate shit show? 
Yeah, in the order of the shit show. In the order of the shit show. In the shit show of the Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little fucked up. Just a little. Just a smidgen. Or a lot. Skosh. But yeah, so hey, it gives us stuff to talk about even if it doesn't line up. Exactly. Which is the point of this. You know, us talking. I mean, this would be quite the silent podcast if it was all perfect, I guess. Episode one. This was exactly the same. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Episode two. Also, also the, the same. same. Yeah. <laughs> In some ways, this is better. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend like the movie didn't get things right. You know, sometimes... It kind of ended up working out, but not in the way that I think they wanted it to. It was a complete accident when it does work out. You know what I mean? Where you're just like... It sometimes does seem like that. Yeah, like, I guess that worked, but okay. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't. But we're getting closer and closer to it starting to line back up a little bit better. Mm -hmm. A little bit. There's still obvious changes because they did take the longest book and make it into the shortest movie. Facts. Which Ashley loves to poke at. I like know. That is just almost every single pondering. They fucked this up, y'all. <laughs> I love Ashley so much. But honest to God, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. It's the most ridiculous thing, especially because this wasn't like the first movie where they didn't know how it was going to all go over. Like they knew this was a right. huge fucking following they knew this was a big deal and this was a heavy book too yeah yeah it was the longest book at the time that had come out and i know that y'all have heard me say it before that at the very least i say watch the first four movies but read the last three books Mm -hmm. this is where the information starts getting so dense yeah that if you don't read the books you will be lost on certain things yeah honestly I've mentioned before that after a certain point, I stopped reading the books right before going to see the movies when they came out. And that did highlight it for me because I would forget things that were in the books. And I would be sitting there going, wait, why did that happen? That doesn't make sense. What's, I don't know what's, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, I went to go see Half-Blood Prince Mm -hmm. with a friend of mine who loved the movies but had never read the books. Yeah. And that was just like, oh, the biggest high for me ever because he had so many questions to ask me and I just got to sit there in the movie theater and whisper all of the answers to him. It was great. Wait, what? You whisper in movie theaters? I had no idea. I also accidentally yell sometimes. That certainly wasn't a point of contention with your husband when we went to go see Fantastic Beasts. I did quite embarrass him, yes. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about this book chapter. Moving on. So it starts off, we pick it back up right after their Christmas lunch and they're heading back to St. Mungo's to visit Mr. Weasley. Mm -hmm. It is actually on Christmas Day. So this is quite a bit different from the movie since on Christmas Day in the movie, they already had Mr. Weasley back. Yeah. Daddy's back. (laughs) They never showed us St. Mungo's. Mm -hmm. But here we are, second visit. What's fun about this visit is again, they have a guard. It's Mad-Eye one more time, but this time Lupin, not Tonks. Mm -hmm. And they also have Mundungus, who is acting as their chauffeur. And he borrowed a car. And I say that with air quotes because Harry is pretty sure that the person that he borrowed that car from has no fucking clue. I'm pretty sure Mundungus has never legitimately borrowed anything in his life. So, Oh, God, no. (laughs) 
We've only met him like what twice, and we already know this about him. Like <laughs> he's pretty sketchy, mm-hmm. dung rags. He is sus AF. That's what he yeah. is. And Mrs. Weasley, being completely aware of this, is actually really hesitant to even get in the car. Yeah, I don't blame her though. <laughs> yeah, multiple reasons here. Number one is she knows it's probably stolen. Mm-hmm. Number two is there's an enlarging charm on it so they can all fit in comfortably because there's like 10 of them. <laughs> it's like a clown car. Right. But that's technically using magic on muggle artifacts, which is not allowed, even though Mr. Weasley does it all the time. Right. <laughs> but there's just so many things here that's making Mrs. Weasley go, oh. In the car, or I want to go see my husband. I really don't want to travel without magic, especially not on Christmas Day. Okay, fine, whatever. And she just like <laughs> gets in the car. She settles herself very graciously between Bill and Fred, and decides, "What? Well, I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna be chill about this. Let's just go. Let's just go see my husband." I really kind of wish someone would have been like, "Well, we'd take your car, but that's somewhere being feral in the Forbidden Forest." You didn't mind when that fucker flew, did you? I think she did mind, though. (laughs) Yeah, she probably did. She begrudgingly took it. And at least that one wasn't stolen. Yeah. On the plus side, there's not a lot of traffic on Christmas Day, so they get there quickly. Dungrags just drops them off and drives around the corner to wait for them, so at least he's not going to, like, embarrass them and try and go in with them. Oh, don't test him, though. (laughs) (laughs) They know the process by now. They go through the glass and through the store front. And mm. now they find themselves in the reception area, which is not only less crowded, it is also significantly more festive looking because they've decorated it for Christmas. Sure. So there's all of these different baubles around and lights and holly. And they have these white Christmas trees because they're covered in magical snow and icicles. And it sounds really pretty. I wish we could have seen it. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it's less crowded. But one of my favorite parts about this is the people who are there are typically there because of arguments (laughs) over the holidays. And Harry actually gets shoved to the side by a witch who has a walnut jammed up her left nostril. I am so glad that sentence was finished quickly because I had (laughs) all different thoughts in my head. I just love the specificity of Mm -hmm. it. Not just nostril, left Left nostril. nostril. Yeah. Well, because if it was in the right nostril, that'd be weird. So. Yes, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's the same blonde witch at the welcome desk, and she seems to be enjoying herself more today. And I can't decide if this is because she's a little grinchy or if she just gets a lot of satisfaction out of the family disagreements. I mean, I think it's a bit of schadenfreude, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you got to work the holidays, at least appreciate the fact that people show up with weird injuries because of family fights. Right? But anyway, the Welcome <laughs> Witch directs Walnut Lady to spell damage on the fourth floor. She's a bit nuts in the head. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and this is like the second or third time that spell damage on the fourth floor has been mentioned. It's almost like it becomes a little bit relevant in this chapter. Yeah. I feel like we might see it. Let's keep going and find out, shall we? Continue on. The Weasleys and Harry and Hermione head to Mr. Weasley's ward, and they find him propped up in bed. He's got a tray on his lap with the remains of his dinner that he was probably just then finishing. But he also looks very sheepish. 
which is super sus, like right off the bat. And you know that Molly picks up on that immediately. Oh, yeah. A, you can't hide things from Molly. And B, she's got how many boys? <laughs> yeah, Molly ain't stupid. No. Mm-mm. But, you know, she kind of plays it cool and they all greet him and hand over their presents. And Mrs. Weasley's just like, everything all right, Arthur? Hmm? Hmm? He gives a overly hearty fine, fine, which no one is buying. No. And then wants to know if she's talked to Healer Smedwick yet. Molly says no. Why? And Arthur's like, oh, you haven't? Okay. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. It's nothing. It's nothing <laughs> at all. Don't worry about it. And he starts opening up his gifts and hopes that the focus then will turn to that and not the fact that he was wondering whether or not she spoke to his healer. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at this lovely wrapping paper. Mm-hmm. Let's see what's inside. I love this little mention right here, too, because the first gift he opens is from Harry, who bought him fuse wire and screwdrivers. He knows his adopted daddy. What can we say? Yeah, like- I love it. But I also like, where does he buy them from? How does he do that? Amazon Prime, Ellen. Right? They got to have some kind of muggle shit for like muggle-borns and stuff. Yeah, probably. I just love it. Harry is actually really good at giving gifts. Mm-hmm. Think about all of the socks that he got for Dobby and right? the shit that he buys for Ron. And he got the book that Hermione wanted and yep. fuse wire and screwdrivers for Arthur. He's great. He's pretty on point. I gotta say. But anyway, as he's raving about this gift because it's exactly what he has always wanted, Molly's just like, um, your bandages. They didn't need to be changed until tomorrow, yet you have new ones. Why do you have new ones? Yeah, what's going on there, guy? And because he cannot resist the Molly gaze, he just says, well, you know the trainee healer, Augustus Pye? He had this idea to try out a muggle remedy. They're called stitches. Sir. And Molly is just, you've been messing about with muggle remedies, Arthur? What? And Arthur's just like, well, I mean, do you know what stitches are? And she says, it sounds like you've been trying to sew your skin back together, but even you can't be that stupid. Can he, though? Which makes Harry immediately jump up and go, I fancy a cup of tea. And he and then Ron and Ginny and Hermione basically sprint to the door because they know exactly that he has been trying to sew his skin back together. Yeah. And they just manage to get the door closed as they hear Molly scream. What do you mean? That's the general idea. Oh, you know what? We say a lot of things about stuff that we can't forgive the respective directors for, but I will never forgive David Yates taking away from us that line being delivered by Julia Walters. Right. Never. I will die on that hill. There's just so many things about this movie that upset me. Right. And this is honestly quite possibly the top of the list. Mm-hmm. But out in the corridor, Jenny's just shaking her hand like typical dad. <laughs> oh, he's a pip. Stitches. And Hermione, being muggle-born, says, well, they do work really well on non-magical wounds, to be fair, but there's probably something in that snake's venom that's just dissolving then. Which is pretty reasonable, I'm sure. I mean, that's actually surprisingly logical. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hermione's pretty logical, so data tracks. Yeah. 
But she changes the subject and wonders where the tea room is. And Harry, having read the welcome witch's sign of what's on all of the floors. Yeah, he didn't want to get yelled at by her. <laughs> right? He studied he that studied thing. hard. <laughs> but he remembered that the tea room and gift shop is on the fifth floor. So they start making their way up to the fifth floor and they find the staircase. And it's lined with more portraits of healers. And these are described as brutal looking. Which just makes you wonder what kind of medieval healers they had back in the day. Ew. And just to make it even funnier, they're all yelling out different illnesses that they think that these <laughs> kids have. They're just visually diagnosing. Yes. I love it. As well as sharing the really horrible remedies that are required to <laughs> cure said illnesses. And one of the wizard just completely pisses off Ron, which understandably, he starts talking about just the disgusting spots all over his face, telling him that he clearly has a bad case of spattergroits. And that requires binding the liver of a toad to your throat while standing naked in the full moon in a barrel of eel's eyes. That is a lot. Right? <laughs> Can't imagine why this would have bothered Ron. <laughs> What I love about this is the little itty bitty bit of foreshadowing is here. Mm -hmm. Diagnosing Ron with spattergroids. Say it again. Spattergroids. <laughs> oh, that's just so fun to me. <laughs> I don't know why. But obviously, Ron yells at the portrait that he doesn't have spattergroid in the portrait's just like but the spots all over your face they're disgusting and ron's like they're fucking freckles you're disgusting fuck Leave off me alone go back to your portrait get out of here <laughs> and then he turns to just glare at his friends who are just resolutely trying to not laugh because you don't want to be on the receiving end of that right in an attempt to change the subject he says what floor are we on and Hermione, who apparently can't count staircases, thinks they're on the fifth floor. And Harry's just like, nope, it's only the fourth. And they step onto the landing before moving up the one more flight of steps. And there, sure enough, is the sign that says spell damage. Because, again, we keep hearing about spell damage on the fourth floor. Like, yeah. every single person that went up to talk to the Welcome Witch was directed to the fourth floor. They all needed to go to spell damage. Yeah. And now here we are. A lot of spells, a lot of damage. But before he can make his way up the next flight of stairs to the tea room, he stops because he sees a man with his luscious wavy blonde hair and these bright blue eyes and a very broad but vacant glittering white smile <laughs> staring at them through the glass of the double doors off the landing. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Their ex-defense against the dark arts professor, Gilderoy Lockhart. Uh-huh. 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 And he pushes open the door and he's wearing a long lilac dressing gown, which makes sense because we know that's his favorite color from Chamber of Secrets. He does love lilac. Immediately greets them and says he expects they'd like his autograph and hair. He just turns to Ginny and he just goes, well, he hasn't changed much, has he? <laughs> so some things are just ingrained whether you remember why or not. I mean, a tiger can't change his spots, you know? His spots? Yeah, I said what I said. Okay. <laughs> Just going with it. <laughs> and a cheetah can't change his stripes. No, not at all. <laughs> Tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so many ways. Let's just move on. That's facts. Anyway, Ron 
kind of guiltily says, hey, professor, how are you doing? Because it had been his wand that caused the memory loss in the first place. But Harry's yeah. just standing there like, what's up with this guilty voice, Ron? He was trying to wipe our memories. I have no pity for this man. Fucking serves him right. He's also obnoxious as fuck. That's a pretty valid point. Really? But yeah, like no sympathy from Harry. Also, I mean, he doesn't remember it anyway, so... Right? <laughs> like, he wouldn't be there if he remembered shit. True story. So you're safe, Ron. It's all good. And Lockhart thinks he's very well. Mm -hmm. Just exclaims, very well. Oh, I'm wonderful. Gives that big glittering smile that he clearly has not forgotten how to do. Right. Pulls out his quill. The big peacock one. Still has mm -hmm. it. Of course, because he's peacocking all day long. Yep. And wants to know how many autographs that they would like because he can do joined up writing now. And he's so excited about this. And I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> he attacks it with the enthusiasm of a second grader. I love it. Yeah. Ron's just like, well, thanks, but we don't need any autographs at the moment. Shouldn't you be an award? Like, you don't seem like somebody who should be wandering around unattended to. Yeah, is there somebody here? Like, do you have a carer that we could maybe point you Find in the direction of? Yeah. Direct you to. Let's go. <laughs> Lockhart doesn't really answer this. He instead stops smiling and just stares at Harry really intensely and says, Have we met? And Harry says, Yeah, remember you used to teach at Hogwarts? We met at Hogwarts? <laughs> We're kind of the reason why you're here. Well, he doesn't say that part, but I'm sure he's thinking. Oh, well, yeah. And initially, Lockhart just is kind of like me, a teacher, what? And then, you know, settles into his general appendixness where he just goes, I uh, taught you everything, you know, didn't <laughs> I? Everything. Everything. I'm actually successfully teaching my own Defense Against the Dark Arts class, and I couldn't have done it without all of the shit you taught me. All of the shit you did to me. Right. <laughs> that had to be fixed. <laughs> but anyway, the appendix of the Wizarding World returns back to the topic of autographs and just says, how about I sign a round dozen for you so that you can give them to all of your little friends and no one's left out? You know, he's generous. You got to give him that. Is that what we call him? In his mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think peacocking was definitely the more accurate term. He's a generous peacock. So luckily at this point, a very motherly looking healer pops her head out of the door at the far end of the corridor and finds him. So yay. Yay. He's going to be taken care of. Unluckily, she sees Harry and the others and says, Oh, Gilderoy has visitors. How wonderful. He never gets any, even though he's such a sweetie. And then she basically just strong arms them into actually visiting with him, following them back to the corridor and everything. Sure. Because she's just so expectant that they are visiting him that they don't know how to say, uh, no, we were trying to go get tea. And Ron tries, but just completely trails off and instead just sort of mutters, let's not stay long though, right? <laughs> so they follow him back to the Janus Thickey Ward. Mm-hmm. Which is a locked corridor. The healer has to use Alohomora to open the door. And she explains to them that it's their long-term resident ward for those suffering from permanent spell damage. 
So they have to keep it locked because they don't want any of those people wandering off. Right. Like Lockhart for his own safety. He has no idea who he is. And if he wanders off, he gets completely lost and has no idea how to get back. Yeah. But she said that there is hope for improvement. Like Gilderoy has been getting better. He wants to sign these autographs. He's very peacocky still. So it seems to be some sign of him getting some memory back. Yeah. And then she mentions Mr. Bode, who we've heard about more than once. I was going to say that sounds quite familiar. Yeah, because he is actually a member of the order. Mm -hmm. Also improving, he's actually able to speak again, which he wasn't before. Although at this point, it's not in a recognizable language. But there is hopes of him regaining a recognizable language. His improvement has been very steady. Hope springs eternal, you know. Right? Yeah. But she then leaves them to visit with Professor Lockhart, the appendix of the Wizarding World, and continues handing out Christmas presents Mm -hmm. to all of the residents there. And Harry just kind of looks around and he sees how, like, this is clearly a more permanent ward because these people have far more belongings. And while he's looking around, the appendix of the Wizarding World pulls out a stack of photographs of himself, of course. Of course. And starts signing them in this really, like, loopy, childish handwriting. (laughs) And I kind of wonder, like, is he signing Gilderoy Lockhart? Does he know that's his name now? I feel like he's been told. Yeah. He must have. Interesting. Yeah. It was kind of funny. It would have been fun to see. And then he starts tossing him to Ginny, saying, you can put him in the envelopes. Mm-hmm. And he's so proud because he doesn't remember, but other people haven't forgotten him. Yeah. Specifically stating that Gladys Gudgeon still writes him weekly. Which was our trivia question. And like I said, he's forgotten. Oh yeah, he has no idea. He has no idea why she keeps writing him. But he does suspect that it is simply his good looks. So, whew, still super modest there. I mean, yeah, sure. But I mean, he does have eyes, so... <laughs> He is Kenneth Branagh, so... (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then Harry keeps looking around because he's just like, whatever, dude. He sees this sallow-looking wizard who's just mumbling to himself. Seems completely out of it otherwise. Mm -hmm. A woman whose head is entirely covered in fur, and that makes him think about the time that Hermione turned into a cat. Yeah. And let me just say, Hermione was really lucky that was not permanent. (laughs) man can you imagine how often she'd have to go get waxed yeah meow meow indeed (laughs) emphasis on the ow right (laughs) and then down at the far end of the ward there's some flowery curtains drawn around two beds to give the occupants some privacy Ooh, hey hey yeah interesting wink wink nudge not that kind of privacy but moving on the healer addresses the furry-faced woman as Agnes and gives her her Christmas present and tells her that her son's going to visit tonight. Isn't that nice? And Agnes just barks. When in Rome, I guess. (laughs) Oh, it's so disappointing to not have gotten to see any of this. Yeah. She gives Broderick Bode a potted plant, which is actually super significant, unless, of course, you're watching the movie, in which case it plays no role whatsoever. Because it didn't fucking happen. He also gets a hippogriff wall calendar that she fixes to the wall for him. And I know that it's probably just like a picture of hippogriffs, like a cat calendar or something. But my brain immediately starts imagining hippogriffs and sexy poses. 
<laughs> I was thinking that too. <laughs> like the sexy hippogriff wall calendar. Like when you go to the zoo and you see the kangaroos like lounging, looking like yeah. Burt fucking Reynolds, but hippogriffs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what my brain did there. <laughs> and he is then distracted by all of that stuff going on in the ward. Like, quick glaze over hey potted plant becomes significant later but i'm going to distract you from that immediately by dropping the name mrs longbottom when the healer asks her if she's leaving already mm-hmm. and right. recognizing this name obviously harry turns around really quickly and sees a formidable looking old witch who also looks very familiar to him in the sense that they saw snape in the same outfit i was gonna say who wore it better right <laughs> oh man that'd be a great side by side Right? Like, if that had been in the film, we could have taken a screenshot of each uh, and done who wore it better. That would have been get that. glorious. We didn't get it. I'd have oh. to Photoshop it. It's just not the same. Of course we didn't get it, because... Ew, David. Ew, David, indeed. But like I said, long green dress, moth-eaten fox fur, pointed hat with a stuffed vulture. Mm-hmm. Being trailed by none other than Neville Longbottom. Hey, we know him. Right? That's exactly what Ron ends up doing, which is just so awkward. Poor Neville. Hogwarts' very own Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> now, Harry, already having a little bit of backstory about this, immediately knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Knows who the people that were behind that flowered curtain in the beds must be. And tries to distract his friends so that Neville can leave without having to admit what's going on. Because... It was Neville's story to share. Yeah. And he didn't want Neville to be forced into it because as much as Harry is sometimes clueless, he is also really caring and good at giving Christmas presents. Right. And he also knows what it's like to not want to talk about something. Exactly. And wanting to have your own secrets and your own privacy. Like, he knows what that's like. Yeah, he's trying to give Neville the chance to do it in his time. Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Ron also heard the healer say Longbottom and spins around himself, sees Neville and just goes, Neville, it's us. (laughs) Us who? (laughs) Like Neville's not going to recognize him the moment he says hi to him. Right. Like Neville, Neville, it's me. It's Ron. Hey, hey, Neville. As though Neville probably didn't see the red hair coming and like ducked behind a curtain just to escape them. He was totally hiding behind his grandmother hoping don't see me don't see me don't see me it is entirely possible that from the visit itself he was distracted and didn't notice them true but that does not last very long because ron's there like never never hey it's us yeah and there's nothing harry can do to stop this from happening like it is just yeah draw attention to the awkwardness because ron does not have the tact lack of tactical yep as we've discussed And just to make things more awkward, he's like, hey, did you know Lockhart's here? Who are you visiting? And just like bombarding him with questions, not even considering that. Read the room. Neville lives with his grandmother. Why does Neville live with his grandmother? He's visiting people in a long-term ward with his grandmother. Come on, Ron. Just a little bit of common sense. Just a little bit. No. Yeah. Especially because Ron's seeing everything that Harry's seeing. Like you can tell that this is not necessarily a place that people just go for a couple of boo-boos not even not necessarily it definitely is not. no exactly i can't read the room guy yeah it's amazing because harry is pretty clueless mm-hmm. he can be quite a bit oblivious at times 
Yeah. But Ron makes him look like the most observant person in the whole wide world. Yeah, get you a friend that makes you look smart sometimes. Just maybe not when it's super awkward like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, Neville's grandmother is wondering if these are friends of his, which I think is a reasonable question. Sure. Like, no, I've never seen them before in my life. Right? They're calling out your name. Clearly, these must be (laughs) friends of yours. They're just my stalkers. (laughs) She asks Neville about that. But then answers her own question when she just flat out recognizes Harry. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're Harry Potter. Neville speaks very highly of you and shakes his hand. And Harry's just like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is such a sweet moment because the movies have only ever shown us Neville kind of getting yelled at by his grandmother in passing. Yeah. Whereas this shows us that even though she's hard on him, they clearly have a good relationship and communicate. Because she then turns to Ron and Ginny and says, you two must be Weasleys. Mm -hmm. Says that she knows their parents. They're fine people. And then she goes on to say, which makes you Hermione Granger. And I know that you've helped Neville out of a sticky spot or two. Mm Hmm. So she knows what's going on. She knows that these are the closest thing that Neville has to friends. For sure. Yeah. Which I'm sure they do consider him friends. But when you think about their close connection and how Neville is just kind of on the outside, it's sort of sad. It is. But at the same time, like, at least Neville has that. Yeah. I don't want to cry. Can we move on? Oh, God, this whole scene just makes me really emotional. And I feel like my husky voice it is, is a only little adding bit, to I gotta that say. effect. Yeah, like when I was reading the summary, and I was right. like, oh, my God, I sound like I'm going to cry. <laughs> I might actually cry, though. But anyway, Neville's grandmother looks down at him and calls him a good boy. But then also says he hasn't got his father's talent. And as she's saying this, she just sort of jerks her head towards the beds at the end of the ward. And Ron being Ron just goes, your dad's here? Okay, there's so many things wrong with this. I just like this whole thing of like, you feel bad for Neville because A, having your grandmother call you a good boy to your friends is already awkward. But then to have her like add on top of that, that he's not that talented like his father was, just like insult to injury. Yeah, it was entirely a backhanded compliment for sure. And then she just outs him to his friends who clearly have no idea that Neville's there visiting his parents. And then you've got Ron who's like, can't take a hint by everybody else just being like, just shut up. Let's keep moving, you know. And he's got to be like, oh, that's your dad. Oh, okay, cool. Your dad's here? Let's talk. Can we meet him? Can we go talk to him? Let's say (laughs) hi. Want a cookie? But Mrs. Longbottom is just appalled to realize that Neville has never told his friends about his parents. Starts admonishing him that it's not something to be ashamed about. And Neville's just like, I'm not ashamed. But she's not buying that and just starts telling the story for him and explains to Harry, Ron, and Hermione and Ginny that her son and his wife were tortured into insanity by the murder munchers. Gran... You just keep fucking up. <laughs> yeah, poor Neville. You just keep fucking up. Like, 
you started good with the, oh, my Neville's a good boy. And then it was downhill from then on, honestly. Not even downhill. She just like fucking jumped off a cliff. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she bungee jumped without the bungee for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cliff diving. Yeah, that. Neville's grandma continues the story, explaining that they were well-respected oars, both highly gifted, and their life just sucks now because tortured. Yeah. Insanity. <laughs> stuck here in the ward. Yep. And then just to drive this home a little bit further, ramp up the emotion of this scene, mm -hmm. Neville's mom, Alice Longbottom, just starts shuffling towards them. She's super thin now, not like the plump woman that Harry got to see in the picture of the original Order of the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Her hair is long and it's really wispy and thin and completely white. No sheen to it or anything. Just looks dead. Yeah. And she goes to hand something to Neville, who immediately reaches out to take it, despite the fact that his grandmother feels the need to tell him to. He's... No, he goes to take it. Right, like he wasn't going to just like leave her hanging. Ignore his mom. Come on. And it's a empty gum wrapper. Drubal's blowing gum. <sighs> and he just says, thanks, mom. Really quietly. Just thanks, mom. I, but... And she just turns and walks away. She doesn't say anything. She just gives him a gum wrapper and walks away. That's got to be like the closest thing to and I love you that Neville has gotten from his mom. Probably. To make it even worse, his grandmother says that they better get back. It was nice to meet them all. And then she tells Neville to just throw out the gum wrapper because she's probably given him enough to paper his whole room with by now. Mm -hmm. So this is just the thing. She just must always give him gum wrappers when they visit. Yeah. Which, like I said, I honestly believe that that's her way of saying I love you. That's what I think, too, because even though his grandmother told him to throw it out, Harry sees him put it in his pocket. Mm -hmm. So it obviously means something to him. Yeah. It's the only thing she can give him anymore. It's his Christmas gift for him. And like that sounds shitty, but it's like the biggest thing that she could do. And it's really kind of wonderful. It's really sweet and it's really sad. And I like the fact that she still has that motherly instinct to give her son something. Right. It shows that, like, that's something that doesn't just go away. It kind of makes me wonder how it started. Like, did they give her gum one time when they were visiting and she didn't know what to do with the wrapper, so he asked for it? Yeah. And now she just gives them to him? Like, it's the only connection that they seem to have anymore. Yeah. And it's just so sad. And it obviously means something to Neville that he keeps them. Right. Or like maybe it was the first interaction he had with his mom actually acknowledging him. Yeah. Oh, it's just so tough. And I can get why they didn't include this. Because it's more Neville's backstory than it is pertinent to the plot. Yeah. And also it would have destroyed me. Oh, God. Reading it was hard. Seeing it would have been <sighs> brutal. Yeah. I don't know that I could have taken yeah. it. And it's tough for Hermione and Ron and Ginny. I'm sure it was tough for Harry, too, but it, he at least wasn't blindsided by it. Mm -hmm. Because when they leave, Hermione is basically crying. And she just says that she never knew, which Ron and Ginny were like, us either. Yeah. And Harry then has to confess that he did know. Yeah. Harry's just kind of like, well, I knew, but that still didn't prepare me for that. 
Right. And he also informs them that this is what Bellatrix Lestrange was sent to Azkaban for. Mm hmm. And obviously they knew that name from before. Yeah. But it especially hits Hermione hard because she's been trying to build that bond with Creature and knows that Creature has a photo of Bellatrix Lestrange in his den. Which, I mean, that's... Fucked up? That's just... <laughs> it's fucked up, but that's just the tip of the fucked up iceberg right? for, for Creature, really. I mean... Oof. Especially recently. Yeah, definitely. But then there's this moment of silence because nobody knows what else to say. And because you can't end a chapter on that sad note, the mm -hmm. silence is interrupted by an angry appendix of the wizarding world who insists that he didn't learn joined up writing for nothing and wants to sign his autographs. I mean, after all of that with Neville's parents, you, you're right. You couldn't just end the chapter like that. You had to kind of bring it back to something that takes a little you more lighthearted. Yeah, it's something that takes you out of the pit of despair that you are currently in. Like, Although if you really think about it, the fact that Lockhart is stuck in there with memory loss as well is not exactly funny. But because it's Lockhart, we kind of laugh at it still. Yeah. Okay. So it's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Look, here's the deal. It's fucked up. Okay? It is. However, he seems happy. Yeah. Well, it's not cool to laugh at it, but at the same time... It's Lockhart. There. Yeah. It's why he's there. It's the one thing he can give us. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of black comedy. Mm-hmm. And all of that was not even remotely in the movie. No. <laughs> not even kind of. What is in the movie is we're back at Grimmauld Place, and this is the moment that we finally learn, in the movie at least, that Sirius grew up in the house. And it wasn't just like some random place that they found for the Order. Yeah, that would have been a really weird place for the Order had they not had a connection to it. Right. <laughs> but there was no picture of Mrs. Black to scream at everybody in the movie. So there was no moment of Sirius going like, oh, Harry, I see you've met my mother. Right. You know, so that wasn't a thing. So it was never brought up, which is interesting to think that Harry he spent, spent all that several time. several months there. <laughs> yeah. He spent all that time there. And he's just finding out at Christmas that this was Sirius's old house. That would have been a conversation for the day one, you know, like in the book. Exactly. At least we got it eventually, I guess. Yeah. Better late than fucking never, I suppose. But yeah, you know, shit we learned like 17 chapters ago in the book is just being mentioned now in the movie. It's pretty on brand, really, if you think about it, but definitely no less frustrating. Not even remotely. Mm -mm. Sirius tells Harry that the tapestry is, in fact, the Black family tree, pointing out the burnt spot where his face used to be and the batshit crazy woven image of his cousin Bellatrix. Hmm. And this is the closest thing that we get to a ding because she gets mentioned in both sections. What? That's crazy talk. We're not allowed to have the same shit in both it's the same as in the last episode everything took place at christmas in both yeah that's all we can do we can't do more than that it's not a big similarity here they just they mentioned the same person it's all we're allowed to do though but sirius goes on to tell harry the cliff's notes version of his fucked up childhood you know how lovely his mother was and how much she hated him and you know hallmark type of shit definitely came across a little sarcastic just a smidgen when he mentions that he left home at 16, Harry wonders where he went. Not looking for any tips on running away or anything. Just you know, asking for a friend. Just curious. 
Really? Right. Mm-hmm. Sirius tells him that he went to his dad's house because the Potters were basically his Weasleys. And then tells Harry, not for the first time, about how much of his dad Sirius sees in him. Unfortunately, Harry is still pretty wigged out over the fact that he thinks he's shapeshifting into an evil-ass snake who came damn close to unaliving Mr. Weasley. And he also starts to hint at a moment with Dumbledore where some shit almost went down. But Sirius just reassures him that's a totally normal reaction to dealing with Dumbledore. Like, (laughs) sometimes dude just pisses you off, right? Just happens. Infuriating. Yeah. (laughs) But Harry's still worried that he's turning into Voldy 2.0 because he's like always super angry and just wants to fuck all the shit up. It's called being a traumatized 15-year-old, Harry. Exactly. And Sirius steps up to Harry and says basically that, you know, look, kid. Also, I know that we kind of covered this at the beginning of our compare and contrast section, but at this point, Harry has already been told about the connection between him and Voldemort. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they already did the weird Legilimens Occlumency lessons with Snape before heading to Grimmauld Place. Yeah. And I know that Snape doesn't exactly clearly explain things to him, but he at least lets him know that there is that connection there. So it would make more sense for Harry to be concerned he's becoming Voldemort because Voldemort's fucking in his head. Yeah. But also, counterpoint, it's Harry Potter. (laughs) Fair enough. So... To try and assuage his fears, Sirius steps up to Harry and he just is like, look, kid, I know that Hogwarts has a worse sex education curriculum than the U.S., but here's the deal. You're not evil. You're 15. And hoarding a shit ton of trauma. Yeah. Just because you have some bad thoughts, it doesn't make you a bad person. You would think you'd have learned this by now, considering all the shit you've seen, but the world is not black and white. It's about as gray as Snape's underwear and sometimes just as shitty. (laughs) And at this point, Hermione chooses this exact moment to cut Sirius off before he can go into more detail about how he knows what color Snape's underwear is. Thank you for that. That's for later. Yeah. We will learn. We will. In the book anyway. Yeah, exactly. And she tells Harry that it's time to fuck off back to Hogwarts. Sirius takes this moment to pump just a little bit of much-needed hope into Harry by telling him that soon they'll be a proper-ass family. And that certainly couldn't jinx anything, right? Uh, I knew the moment he said that shit was gonna go down. Right? (laughs) It's like, dude! Hey, you wanna come live with me? Just kidding, I'm on the run. After this is all over, we'll be a proper family. Just kidding, you'll find out later. Yeah, it did not Broderick bode well, if you (laughs) see what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. So Sirius just takes one more look around the room at the tapestry of turpitude that is his bloodline before fucking off and going to hang out with his horsey bird, I assume. Probably. What else was he going to do? The house is now empty and he's just right back into his depression, probably. And then we get a lovely shot of Hogwarts showing that the fun and frivolity of Christmas is over and it's back to hell for Harry and the gang. Unless, of course, you're reading the book, in which case... It is not yet back to Hogwarts, though they are getting closer. Yeah. And then obviously we have the biggest difference, which was the absolutely no same mungos, among many other things. Amongos, other things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, God, I really wanted to see St. Mungos. I know we've said it 6,000 times in this episode alone, let alone the last two. But uh, 
There's just so many fun things that could be part of it. Right? We should have a Harry Potter spinoff like Grey's Anatomy or something that follows St. Mungo's. Like, uh, we could call it um, Harry's Anatomy. Oh, no, not that. Not that. No, 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 not that. Yeah, that's a completely different show. Yeah, awkward. Grayback's Anatomy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. However, also not something I actually want to do. Just saying. Yeah, ew. God, there'd be so much fun stuff, though. Although, I gotta say, with the amount of magic, I would prefer it to be more like a Scrubs. Yes. (laughs) More like a Scrubs, where, like, the witch that was at the front desk is, like, Laverne, and she's, like, sassy, and, like, you got hit with a spell, but can you read? You know? (laughs) That'd just be so great. Yeah, I agree. No, I would totally watch that show. For sure. Hell yeah. And at the very least, if they ever remake this series, they better include it. Right. Set it up for the spinoff. Give us all the long bottom tiers. All of them. I don't want them. However, I do need them. And the Gilderoy Lockhart hilarity. Yes. And uselessness. And uselessness, for sure. Although, if he makes you laugh, is he really useless? Because, I mean, he's done something. I mean, he's not useless to the story, but he's useless in the wizarding world. True. But yeah, that brings us to the end of the book chapter and the movie scene that really had nothing to do with the book chapter. But hey, Bellatrix Lestrange got mentioned. Yay! (laughs) In both. (laughs) We put a name to the crazy, but we still don't have a face, so it's not like we can introduce her. And since there are no new actors, we're just going to move right on. Yep. Our Potter pondering this week is, what are your thoughts on the movie changing how we learn about Neville's parents? Because we will learn about it in the movie. It's just going to happen a little bit later. Yeah, and not nearly as heartbreakingly. No. (laughs) Like... I mean, it's sad. Don't get me wrong. Like, they did what they did, but... Not the same impact. Not at all. I digress. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok and please get us these answers by Wednesday if you want them to make it into the next episode. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from my husband. Hello, I'm Steven, and I'm a Gryffindor. My wand is applewood, 13 inches with a dragon heartstring core and supple flexibility. My Patronus is a mink, which is fitting, as I am also a semi-aquatic mammal. I had nothing to do with them, and wanted nothing to do with them. I actually knew nothing about the series until the movies started to come out. And even then, it was only when they were on TV. The fifth movie, I had met my now wife, and we had started dating. Spoiler alert, it's me. I started reading the books. Before going to see the fifth movie in theaters, we rewatched the first four, and my lack of poker face betrayed me and gave up my secret not halfway through the first movie. To this day, I have seen all the movies and read the first book and the first half of the second book. That was enough effort. (laughs) 
But he did. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Steve, even though I know Katie forced you into it. I mean, it's my job, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for doing the thing I've asked you to do for three years, finally. <laughs> I literally thought that he did it before. It's so funny that we're just now getting it. <laughs> And if any of the other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what day and time does Snape tell Harry his first occlumency lesson will be? The first one who responds with a correct answer in the code word hashtag remedial potions will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like for foxsake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 24, Occlumency, and the corresponding film scenes that we had to take from a slightly earlier section of the movie since they did things in a really strange order. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calming Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake.